0: Good morning, church family. My name is Christina Pessoa, and I will be reading our scripture passage for today. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 7, and we'll be reading verses 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyree and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of God.
1: God's word is good, isn't it? It's good to uh, be together and to study God's word uh, together, and um, man, I'm preaching live today, so I need y'all to be live. Amen? Nope, nope, that's not going to work. Amen? Amen. Yeah, can we practice just real quick? I'm going to say God is good. I, somebody already did it. I'm going to say God is good. You say all the time. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. All right, all right. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, Christina read from Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 30, and we're going to pick up uh, studying in this series following Jesus in Mark 7:24. Uh, Before we dive into these verses, though, uh, real quick, show of hands, how many of y'all in Overflow 2, how many of y'all have ever spent some time in an airport lounge? Okay, it's a good it's a good percentage of y'all. Y'all are privileged. Um, I did not know well into, until well into my adult life that there were even airport lounges. Like if you said, "Hey, I'ma be in the airport lounge," I would have been like, "We all will be." You know what I'm saying? Like you go to Panda Express and then you sit in the airport lounge eating your food. You know, on your suitcase, on your knees, or whatever. I had no idea. Like I fly Southwest, like want to get away, airfare, you know what I'm saying? And so it wasn't until legitimately, this is several years ago, I'm uh, traveling and we are uh, doing some ministry in the Philippines. We fly into Manila and then we go kind of deeper into the Philippines to do ministry and we come back to Manila and we're getting ready to, 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 to fly back. And so I'm flying with somebody who's like a travel guru, frequent flyer miles, all that type of stuff. And he's like, my man, we don't sit around here. Come with me. I'm like, where are we going? And uh, so we go, we show up, and we, 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 we show up to this airport lounge. Now, you can't. Really, you don't, how do you find an airport lounge unless you know about it? I didn't even know these things existed, but I get to this airport lounge, and you got to have certain credentials to get into an airport lounge. You got to have a certain credit card, membership thing, or whatever. I don't know what y'all do or what y'all have, but you got to have something to get into an airport lounge. I was able to get in because I was with him. So we walk in. For those of you who have never been in an airport lounge, let me just tell you, you're doing it wrong, okay? Okay. You're doing it wrong. Your entire flight experience has been wrong to this point. You walk in, you immediately feel the difference. The lights are different. The light, it's music. You know what I'm saying? Like You're not hearing the, the, the lady from gate 13, you know, whatever, yelling at everybody to hurry up and come. Like It's just like classical music playing. I walked in, there was a whole buffet, like an entire buffet, and this wasn't like, pre-wrapped like what it was a dude standing there slicing meat upon request. I was like, this is how y'all do it. And remember, I'm in the Philippines, so they had like mangoes. Like y'all, I've never had mangoes in America are not mangoes. Like I've never had mangoes like these Filipino mangoes or whatever. Like, they were incredible. And so and so the more like after that experience I just I don't even want to fly no more. And so I just Google airport lounges. And from what I'm told, you can, they have full-size beds in some airport lounges, and you can take a nap in there. They have showers. They have all kind of stuff in these airport lounges, but you can't get in unless you have certain credentials. If you don't have the credentials, you can't enjoy the experience. This is what's at the core of so much of what we read about in the Gospel of Mark, and it comes up. Over and over and over again. Who actually has proper credentials to enter the kingdom of God? Who's in? Who can legitimately claim to belong to the kingdom of God? Now, we, we, we love exclusive experiences in our culture, but you know what we hate? We hate exclusive religion. We we especially around this part of the DMV area, we hate exclusive religion. Anything exclusive seems intolerant and arrogant. We We want our airport lounges exclusive. We want our religion radically inclusive. Let me tell you something. Christianity is actually the most radically inclusive religion in the world. Not because it tells you that everything you believe is right and that everybody, no matter what, can get in, but because it says that everybody can get in only one way. Anybody can enter into the kingdom of God, but everybody has to enter the same way, and it's not Through our own, like, credentials that we present, it's only through the credentials that Jesus gives us. And so remember the context in Mark chapter 7. We studied earlier on Mark chapter 7 last Sunday. Uh, You might remember this, that at the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus has been in an argument with the Pharisees about purity laws. Y'all remember this? Okay, you weren't at church last Sunday. All right. All right. He's been in an argument with the Pharisees about purity law. So let me catch you up. Here's the key question Jesus is addressing in verses 14 to 23, right before our passage. Here's the key question What makes a person unclean before God? Unclean means spiritually unacceptable to God. And the Pharisees believed that you were spiritually unacceptable to God based on certain religious and cultural criteria, certain external standards. You didn't have these external credentials. You were spiritually unclean. And so how do you become clean? How do you become spiritually acceptable to God? Well, according to the Pharisees, by making sure you measure up to the external standards of the law, by dotting all the religious I's, crossing all the cultural T's, and Jesus, in the first part of chapter seven, turns all of that inside out. He says that A person is unclean because of what's in their hearts. That's where sin comes from. You're not unclean because of anything external. You're not unclean because of the food that you eat or the garments that you wear. You are unclean because of a sinful heart. And here's why that's good news. Because that means no matter who you are or what your background is, we all need the same thing. We need the mercy of God. Every single one of us needs to have our hearts purified and transformed, not by our own efforts, but by faith in the mercy and power of God himself, which he has revealed and secured through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus illustrates this in the passage that Christina read for us. Jesus has been ministering in in the northern region of Israel, a region called Galilee. And so let me give you just a quick Hang in here with me. Let me give you a quick geography lesson so you understand the context. I'm going to show you a map up here. It's not like exactly precise, but it'll help you kind of understand where things are. So you see uh, where Israel is in the middle? Remember, I'm preaching live today, so I need y'all to be live. You you see where Israel is in the middle? Okay, Israel is there in the middle where you uh, you see Jerusalem. You see that little body of water at the like top right corner of Israel? You see that? It's like a little t- blue dot, yeah, you, all right, y'all see it now. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus walked on water. That's where so much of his ministry happened. From the Sea of Galilee and that whole region up there by that little blue body of water down to where, just about where the L is in Israel, that northern region of Israel is, is Galilee. It's the region of Galilee, and you hear about all these cities in Galilee, Cana, where he did the, 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 the miracle of the, of the wine. And there's all these cities in Galilee. That's where he spent most of his time during his public ministry. But in Mark 7, 24, Jesus decided to go on vacation. Anybody need a vacation? Yes, I, I, yes, uh-huh. So he leaves Galilee. Let's leave the map up. He leaves Galilee. So the northern part of Israel, he leaves Galilee and continues to go up north, crosses the border of Israel into that area that says Lebanon. You see that area that says Lebanon? All right. All right. So let me me explain this to you. Back then, that area of Lebanon was called Phoenicia. All right? And it sounds like a girl I used to know um, back in the day. Um, So it's called Phoenicia. And... And it was part of the broader Syrian district that the Roman Empire controlled. And so if you look at the map, you see that area of Lebanon that was called Phoenicia. Tyre and Sidon are two cities in the region of Phoenicia. Follow me? So let's, let, let's put together the like, essential parts of it because I know some of that y'all forgot. That's okay. Here's what I want you to understand. Tyre... Or Tyre, I don't know, Christine, you said Tyre. you probably, you probably looked that up it. I and mean, it's probably accurate. I don't even know. I, I went to seminary, I still don't know how to say it. Um, I'm gonna just say Tyre. Tyre was a city in Phoenicia, and Phoenicia was a region within the broader district of Syria. That's why the woman is called Syro Phoenician, because she's from the Syrian Phoenician region. And so Jesus leaves Israel goes into that Phoenician area, makes his way into that city Tyre. And he goes there for for two reasons. I mentioned one, it's a practical reason. He needed a break from all the chaos of ministry in Galilee. The crowds were constantly swarming him. The Jewish leaders were constantly harassing him. He needed some time to rest and regroup with his disciples. So that was the practical reason, but there was also a spiritual reason. Remember, Jesus is on a divine itinerary. There are divine appointments scheduled for him everywhere he goes. So his interaction, this interaction with this woman isn't random. It's designed to teach us something about who he is and the mission that he came to accomplish. This encounter is designed to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. So let's look at the story a little more closely. Jesus is trying to lay low with his disciples. He's on vacation. He's doing a retreat with his disciples. Maybe he's going to be teaching them, training them a little bit, but he's trying to lay low. And there's a woman whose daughter is being tormented by a demon, and somehow she finds the house where Jesus is staying. Now, this woman has never met Jesus. We know that because it talks about how she had heard of him. She's never met Jesus personally, but she's heard about him because as Mark points out in chapter 3, verse 7, there were people from her city, from Tyre, who had actually seen Jesus perform miracles while they were in Israel, and they had heard some of his teaching. And so they'd seen his power, they heard his teaching, and they came back to Tyre talking about it. And I'm praying that... The reputation of Jesus was spread in Montgomery County in that same way, that, that people would observe the power of Jesus and the wisdom of his teaching in this community so much so that they just start going everywhere talking about it. There's this guy named Jesus. I don't understand everything about him. I'm not sure I believe he's actually God. What I do know is that those people that are marked by his name, they, something has happened. They would see something in this community that would cause them to to talk and the word about Jesus was spread and that's what happens here. And so when she hears that this same Jesus, this miracle worker Jesus is right there in her own city, she finds him and falls down at his feet begging him to save her daughter. And that word begged in verse 25 is not a one-time thing. In the original language, is a present progressive. It's an ongoing activity. It literally means, this is why New American Standard uh, Version translated this way. It says, she kept on begging. She didn't stop begging. And when Matthew writes about this in Matthew 15, he writes about the same story. He includes uh, some, some different details. Not, not different, but some additional details. He says, listen, he says that she was crying out. So I want you to really see the scene, and I want you to feel how intense the situation is. This woman is not calm. She is yelling and crying and begging for a miracle. And some of y'all know what that feels like. Some of you know what it feels like when your prayer shifts, When you're not praying these casual prayers. You don't have it in you. You don't have it in you to put no religious spin on it. You don't have it in you to pray the right way. The situation is so desperate that your prayer begins to escalate. The only thing you can do is almost just this emotional collapse in the presence of God. The only thing you can do is yell and cry and beg for God to intervene. Some of you know what that feels like. Some of y'all parents, you know what that feels like for your child. You know the pain of this mother. It may not be that your child is being tormented by a demon, but you know the overwhelming anxiety and worry that you have because of some of the decisions and choices that your child is making. You know the agony of seeing your child in physical pain, in some type of medical condition that that you and doctors can't quite seem to figure out in healing Doesn't seem to come yet. You know what that feels like. You know that desperation. Some of us who aren't parents, we know that for other people that we love or for our own selves. We know what it's like to be in a situation where we are absolutely helpless. We've run out of resources. We have no other recourse. There's nothing else we can do. The only thing we can think to do is plead and beg and cry and yell And say, God, would you help me? This is what this mother is doing. We don't know if she's a single mom. Maybe she was a widow. Her husband isn't mentioned. We don't know. What we do know is that she has a little girl who is suffering. And this mother is absolutely desperate. And so she comes to Jesus yelling and crying and begging, but there's a problem. It's a problem. Verse 26 says she was a Gentile. She's not Jewish. She's not a part of God's covenant family. There's no reason for her to expect that she would receive any type of covenant blessing from Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't shy away from that. In fact, the way Jesus responded, did y'all hear how Jesus responded to her? Was it just me? Like the way Jesus responds to her, it's a little crazy. Like respectfully, it was just, this is one of the most disturbing things Jesus says in all of the Gospels. Verse 27, he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Like for some of us, that would have been the end of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Jesus or not. (laughs) Now, Jesus says, he says a lot of hard things in the Gospels. Like, I just said in Matthew 23 where he pronounces all these judgments, right, on, on the religious elite, on the Pharisees and the scribes and all of that. He calls them a brood of vipers. That's not nice. <laughs> a brood of vipers. Venomous snakes. He calls them whitewashed tombs. You make yourself look so good on the outside, but you are wicked and evil and dead on the inside. Like Jesus goes hard in the paint when he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And as we read that, as we read those words of Jesus, we all get the sense that these people deserve it. Right? We talked about this last week that they're, they're self-righteous arrogant hypocritical but this mom she's absolutely helpless she's desperate she's sincere and so what do you do with the way jesus responds to her Like, this is what I get paid to do, so I love reading all the scholarship and whatever, and I love reading scholarship of people that don't even really believe the Bible. They're Bible scholars who don't really believe the Bible. And so I'm reading all of this scholarship around this passage about how Jesus is, is a part of oppressive patriarchy, like, in, with this woman, and he's an expression of colonialism and, like, all this stuff, and I'm like, really? Is that, is that what's happening? What do you do? With the way Jesus responds, well, first of all, and I think this needs to be said, part of following Jesus means embracing the fact that he is always right. So before you try to do a spin move around your discomfort, part of following Jesus means off the top, you are saying, Jesus, you are always right. His word is completely trustworthy and infallible. Everything he says is on point. I love what Francis Chan said. He's a pastor and an author. He said, when I disagree with something in God's word, I just assume that I'm wrong. That's what it means for the word of God to be authoritative. If you are reading the Bible and you agree with everything in it, you're not reading it right. If nothing disturbs you as you're reading the Bible... If the Canaanite's being slaughtered and, and if, if, not, if nothing disturbs you, you are not reading the Bible properly in its context because from a human perspective, we're going to read some things that really disturb us. The question is, what do you do about it? What you do about it, if the word of God is authoritative and Jesus is who he says he is, then you assume something is wrong with your view, not the Bible. That's where it starts. We, appro- we approach the word of God with a humility that says, God, I'm not going to understand everything immediately, but your word is true. Your word is right. Your word is authoritative. Your word is good. But even if we accept the authority of God's word, like in our modern ears, this sounds completely unacceptable and offensive and honestly unnecessary. If Jesus was in the social media area, he would be canceled immediately. He would have lost all his publishing deals, his music contracts, his sandal endorsements, everything. (laughs) Jesus calls this woman a dog. And can I make it even worse? Remember, I'm preaching live. Can I make it even worse? Raise your hand if you are a Gentile. That means you're not Jewish. Jesus called all y'all dogs. <laughs> and me too. What is happening here? Well, we, we have like an obsession with dogs in America. I shouldn't say we. A lot of y'all have an obsession with dogs. I have mean, been to some of y'all houses. Y'all be like, your dogs, your dogs, you got jackets. You know what I'm saying? And all... But when you travel to developing countries, dogs are not usually pets. In fact, a lot of times they're stray animals. They're scavengers. They roam the streets eating whatever they can find. So listen, in many places, people see dogs the way we see rats. They're dirty scavengers. And that's how Jews would often refer to Gentiles. We see this in scriptures. We see it in historical Jewish literature. That's how they would often refer to Gentiles, as stray dogs, filthy, unclean, unfit to be in the house. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Because first of all, remember, Jesus just finished teaching that it's not external things that make a person unclean. It's our sinful hearts that make us unclean before God. So it's not just Gentiles who are unclean apart from the saving work. This is what the Pharisees didn't understand. Apart from the saving work of Jesus, the work that the Messiah came to accomplish, everybody is unclean before God. So Jesus is not demeaning this woman. What is he doing? In verse 27, here's what he's doing. He's giving her a parable. And this is one of his primary ways of teaching He's giving her a parable. When you study the passage, you look, there's, 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 there's two words for dog used in the New Testament. One of them refers to street dogs, but the word Jesus uses actually means a household dog. It literally means like, it literally is little dog, like, like a puppy. It's a, it's a household pet. It's the, it's the rare occasion where, where you would have like a dog who was in the house. And so Jesus has given her this parable, and remember what Jesus taught about why he taught in parables. We studied this in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. When Jesus taught in parables, he was doing two things. He was revealing truth to those who were willing to listen, and he was concealing truth from those who refused to listen. You harden your heart toward Jesus, you will not understand the teaching of Jesus. And not only was this woman willing to listen, but she's the first person in Mark's gospel to hear and actually understand a parable. Pharisees and scribes don't get it. The disciples are confused. This woman, with no further explanation from Jesus, has divine insight into the parable because God is at work in her heart. She's closer to the kingdom of God than even the Pharisees are. She understands and fully surrenders to what Jesus is teaching because Jesus is making a very basic point, a theological point that salvation is being offered to people from all nations, but there's a divine order in God's plan of salvation. This is to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. That's why he says, let the children be fed first. The Jews are the ones who originally received God's covenant promises Which is why Jesus focuses almost all of his three years of public ministry in Israel. Because the first thing on his agenda as the Messiah is to reveal to the Jews that he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and prophecies. And so Jesus is saying that although he came to save people from all nations, his original work in Israel is not yet done. It's not yet time for that mission to expand beyond Israel into Gentile territory. And this woman, somehow, she doesn't understand all of it, but God is at work in her heart and she understands some of it. And so she doesn't push back and deny it. In fact, look at verse 28. She answered him, yes, Lord. The only time somebody refers to Jesus as Lord in the Gospel of Mark. Yes, Lord, from the lips of a Gentile. She says, yes, Lord. And I love this. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, what she's saying is, I don't understand everything, but I, I understand that, there's, that the kingdom of God, I, I get it, I'm not pushing back. I know the Jews have, have this kind of special like, relationship, but I know enough I know enough to know that there is a place for us Gentiles in this. I don't fully understand it. But Jesus, there's enough for me to eat. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. You see, what's happening here is this is a preview of salvation coming to the Gentiles. Like what Jesus is doing is he's giving almost this visual illustration That God's mercy revealed in the gospel is going to extend beyond the borders of Israel to people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And if you've been coming to our church for like two and a half minutes, you, you know God's heartbeat for the nations. That his covenant mercy and the blessings of the kingdom of God are not just available to Jewish people. But that in the new covenant, God's mercy, and this was always by design, that God's design was that salvation would extend through the Jews to people from all nations. You see this all over scripture. This is why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses where first? In Jerusalem. And then in the broader region of Judea and it keep going up north to Samaria and to the end of the earth, out into all of the Gentile regions among all of the Gentile peoples. And this is why we have the gospel here in North America. And so one takeaway from this is definitely God's heart for the nations and that as followers of Jesus, we should have a heart for the nations. But in these last couple minutes before we close, here's what I want to invite you to briefly reflect on. I want to bring this home to you. In Matthew's account, when this woman comes up to Jesus, she cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord. And as I was praying about, okay, Lord, what do you want me to emphasize coming out of this message? There's so much in here. Here's what I want you to hear. This is on the authority of God's word. Listen, Jesus has enough mercy for you. Jesus has enough mercy for you, for your sin, for your suffering. He has enough mercy for you. And when we hear the word mercy, we tend to think about Withholding punishment from somebody, you deserve punishment, but I get, I'm going to be merciful to you. And that's one aspect of mercy, but the concept of mercy in the Bible is broader than that. The idea of mercy is, is to be merciful is to feel someone's pain and to intervene to help them. It's to feel, so that's why mercy is used in so many different ways in Scripture. Even when Jesus heals somebody, it's mercy to feel somebody's pain, to see them in their pain, to be moved by it, and then to intervene to help them. That's why so compassion is a good synonym for mercy. This woman cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord. In other words, she's saying, I don't deserve your help, but I need it. I'm asking for it. And I I want you to think about the depth of mercy that is being revealed through Jesus. Because there's a couple little details that I skipped over. And I want you to feel this as we we prepare to close, as we prepare to respond. I want you to feel the depth of God's mercy. I want you to think about this woman in context. I want you to think about there's no reason for her to expect any mercy from Jesus. None. None. She has so many strikes against her before she even opens her mouth. There's so many barriers to God's mercy for her. There's a gender barrier. She's a woman. And you know from the account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the reason that was so scandalous is because a Jewish rabbi would never have that type of direct interaction like with a woman. Even when you go to countries around the Middle East, now you go to a Muslim country. When we go to, to, to do ministry and to partner with churches, they tell you, do not disrespect this culture as a man by walking directly up to a woman. A Jewish rabbi would not Engage a woman like that? Certainly not a Samaritan woman. Certainly not a Gentile woman. There's a gender barrier for her to be able to access the mercy of God directly from Jesus. There's an ethnic barrier, which we talked about. She's Gentile. She's not Jewish. She's not of, of Hebrew like descent. She's a Gentile. There's a political barrier. She's Syrophoenician. She's from the city of Tyre. Listen. The the Jews had, uh, I gave you all that history about Syrian, Phoenician, and all that stuff. Listen, the Jews had a long history with the people of Tyre, and they hated them. Specifically, the people of Tyre. Let me me explain why real quick. Anybody, y'all remember Jezebel in the Old Testament? Remember Jezebel? You know where she's from? She was a princess from Tyre. She married Ahab, who was the king of Israel. He was never supposed to marry a Gentile, but Jezebel married him and introduced idol worship, Baal worship, into the northern kingdom of Israel. And it was why that brought God's judgment on the northern kingdom. The Assyrians completely destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Later, during the Maccabean Revolt in the second century B.C., the Jews are fighting for their freedom... And the people of Tyre, right on their border, actually join this other army and fight against the Jews. Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, wrote that the inhabitants of Tyre, he said, were notoriously our bitterest enemies, they were political enemies. There was no reason for Jesus to, as it were, cross the political aisle and and, and show any mercy. There's a gender barrier, an ethnic barrier, a political barrier, and there's a spiritual barrier. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. And the reason for that is because people who lived in the area of Phoenicia were direct descendants of the Canaanites. Remember the Canaanites in the Old Testament? They were known for their idolatry, for child sacrifices, They were so pagan. Listen, James Edwards, New Testament scholar, said Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could expect to encounter. Because of her gender and ethnicity, because of where she's from geopolitically and spiritually, she has no reason to expect any mercy From Jesus, and yet she will not stop begging. And Jesus commends her faith. In Matthew 15, 28, Jesus answered her. Jesus says to her, not just your statement is why I'm going to do this. Jesus actually says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Look at this faith. So why does he commend her faith? Well, one, because like wow, this kind of faith is coming from a gentile in a gentile region. But also when Jesus is like this statement, why is he why is he so caught up on her statement? Why why is he such a an example for us of faith? Well, remember she was, I, I told you she was yelling and crying and begging. Well, Matthew gives us two more details that show just how strong this woman's faith is. Let me just read this real quick. Uh, Matthew 15, 23. Mark doesn't record this. But when she came to Jesus begging, it says Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, send her away, for she is crying after us. This woman comes before Jesus. She's begging, Jesus, please heal my daughter. He doesn't even respond. Unanswered prayer. She hears nothing. On top of that, the disciples are bought into this world worldly view of her, and they're like, "Send her away. She doesn't belong. She has no place here." And what is it in her? What is it about her faith that causes her to still keep on begging when she doesn't hear anything from Jesus yet? When the when when Jesus' people are saying you don't belong here, what is it that causes her to keep on begging? And I think that's why Jesus commends her faith. I think it's because she doesn't just have faith that Jesus is powerful, she also has faith that Jesus is merciful. She doesn't just know that Jesus is able, that he's this miracle worker, but she actually believes that Jesus is willing that he's good, that he is compassionate. She's heard enough about him to to know, and the Spirit is at work in his heart, for for her to know that there is something good about him. He is not just all-powerful, but he is good. He is not just sovereign over my pain, but he is sympathetic in it. He feels it with me. And I think that's why Jesus commends her faith, because a lot of people, they couldn't deny that he was powerful. But this woman actually had enough faith to believe, and I know he's good. Jesus, I know you're good, so I'm going to keep begging. I know I haven't heard back from you yet, but I'm not going to stop asking. Jesus, I know you good. I know all these people over here, like the Pharisees, the religious elites. And all the Jesus people, these disciples, I know they all say I shouldn't even be here and I have no reason to be here. But Jesus, I'm not thinking about them. I know you're good. And I'm going to keep asking and trusting that there is enough mercy for me. Love how Tim Keller put it. Tim Keller says, she's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, "Give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness." And that's why Jesus commends her faith. And some of you, this explains part of why you struggle so much to enjoy intimacy with God, because you believe He's able. But you struggle to trust that he's actually willing, that he actually sees and cares about your pain, that the stuff that affects you is actually enough to affect him, and you haven't heard from him yet, and so you doubt that he's good. And you have this theology in your head, which is good theology. It's like she had good theology about the Jews first. But she didn't allow that to become distorted theology. And some of us, it's our theology that keeps us from embracing the mercy of God. Right? Because we're sinners and we're depraved. That's true. But what is also true is that God is abounding in mercy. So you have this distorted theology that Causes you to do all these gymnastics and work your way out of the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Yeah, I know he's powerful, but I don't deserve it. That's the point of mercy. So two questions as we close. One is an encouraging question. And one is a challenging question. Here's the encouraging question. Where are you struggling to believe that God's mercy extends to you? Not in general. Remember, mercy is feeling somebody's pain and intervening to help. Where are you struggling to believe that God's mercy extends to you in your specific situation? That God has enough mercy for you in that. That God cares about that. Because that's what gives you the endurance to keep trusting him and to keep praying and to keep worshiping him. Even if you don't see the full expression of his mercy until you see him face to face, you cling to the fact that he is merciful. How? Because he said it and he demonstrated it over and over and over and over again. Where are you struggling to believe God's mercy extends to you? Here's the challenging question. Where are you struggling to extend God's mercy to others? Because this kind of mercy, this is what Jesus is doing and showing. This kind of mercy is a distinguishing characteristic of the kingdom of God. Let me ask ask this more specifically. Is there any person or group of people you struggle to show mercy toward? Can I be honest? I'm preaching live at MoCo, so can we talk for a second? There is so much hostility in our culture the lines are being drawn everywhere over every issue. And it is so tempting for followers of Jesus to mimic that kind of worldly hostility. Can we talk? Okay. See, because some of us struggle to, to feel... And show this kind of mercy to liberals. Because liberals are trying to take over America. So you don't feel any mercy in your heart when you see people. Why? Because you, you see the label, you see, you see they're liberal. So there's no mercy in your tone. There's no mercy in the way that you think about those people. Before I make everybody nervous, it this on the other side too. I had to mediate in 2016 in our location between an older black woman and an older white woman over the election. I, I was mediating a conflict between them, sitting right there. And the black woman said to the white woman, you voted for Donald Trump and that's all I need to know about you. And I was like, "That's all you need to know." (laughs) I'm not saying we can't disagree about politics, but like, that's all you need. That's like Jesus saying, "You're Syrophoenician. That's all I need to know about you. You're Gentile. That's all I need to know. You're from Tyre. That's all. You're a woman. That's all I need to know." I don't see you as a person. I see a a label. Maybe it's people in the LGBTQ community. Maybe it's abortion activists. See, to the extent that we echo the world's hostility, because listen, there's no mercy going in any direction. To the extent that we echo the world's hostility, we are failing to reflect the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean we don't have convictions and beliefs and all that. That's fine. But are we followers of Jesus or not? Because Jesus is in Gentile territory with a woman from Syrophoenicia entire with all. Remember, Jesus is not just God. He was also fully man. He grew up Jewish. He's willing to show mercy toward this woman. Maybe for you it's not cultural. Maybe it's more personal. Maybe you struggle to show mercy toward your dad. The pain cuts too deep. Your spouse for what they did. A friend that you've cut off, they're done. The way you talk about other coworkers to these coworkers, you see, this kind of mercy is a distinguishing characteristic of the kingdom of God. So, where do you struggle to extend? the mercy of God to other people, to those people, or to that person. And maybe God wants you to see this example of the depth of his mercy so that you can find it within your heart with God's help to to reflect that mercy to other people. maybe you're here, maybe you're sitting in overflow, and maybe you need to receive that mercy for the first time. Maybe like this woman, God has been working in your heart. And maybe you're finally willing to submit to what he says in the gospel, that you don't actually deserve anything good from him. I don't deserve anything good from him. There is nothing I can do to be perfect. And maybe you're at the point in your life now where you're out of resources and you realize, I can't make myself acceptable to you, God. And maybe the message of the gospel is resonating for the first time, that you actually are starting to understand who Jesus really is, that he wasn't just a prophet or whatever, that he is God who came in human flesh to do what you could not do. To fulfill perfectly righteous standards and then he went to the cross in your place. Listen, here's the beautiful thing in order in order for dogs to have a seat at the table like children, the son had to become treated like a dog. Who deserves? To be in the kingdom of God more than Jesus. And yet, he allowed himself to be dragged in the street, to be spit on, to be mocked and abused and disregarded. And he was hung up on a cross loud himself, willingly offered his life in your place and in my place, shed his blood so that our sin could be atoned for. And then he rose from the grave. Why? So that you, you, you and me could have a legitimate seat at the table. Like in Christ, y'all, in Christ. We not me at the airport. Like I'm in there looking around with imposter syndrome, like, When are they gonna find out that I don't belong in here? Let me grab some mangoes real quick before they kick me out. No, 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 no. Like in Christ, in Christ. 1 John 3. You have been given the right to be children of God, you are a legitimate heir to all the inheritance of the kingdom because of what Jesus has done. And if you have not truly embraced and understood that and surrendered yourself to Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for your sin and as Lord of your life, then that's his invitation for you today. He's pulling up a seat and saying, I have this space for you. So I want to pray for you. And if today... You are deciding that you want to put your trust in Jesus. You can just pray as I pray. You can just confess to Jesus that you don't deserve his mercy, but that you're just thankful that it's available because of his death and resurrection, and you want and need that mercy, and you want a relationship with him. And he promises that if you truly do that in faith, he will save you. And we would love, love, love to come alongside you and encourage you and support you and help you grow in your relationship with God. You know why? Because my prayer, even as I was reading this and thinking about this woman, I'm like, yo, I want thousands of Syrophoenician women walking in these doors. I want McLean Bible Church, and it has been decade after decade. It has been a place of mercy for messy people, messed up people, unclean people. So welcome. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And God has an incredible, incredible plan for you to enjoy his mercy if you would accept it. Let me pray. Father, we are in awe at the abundance of your mercy. Our mercy runs out so easily. But all of your characteristics are infinite. You don't run out of the resources and the energy you need to be merciful, God. But you keep the door open, Lord, and as long as we have breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to turn from our sin, to turn from our self-reliance and to receive your mercy. And Lord, I pray that for folks who are here who may not yet be followers of Jesus, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us to rest in your mercy, to trust your mercy and to spread that mercy far and wide. Oh, Lord, would you help us? We pray this in Jesus' name.